yeah, the parallels between, and, and perhaps what, what Simmons saw in Houdin and the parallels that you described so well between, say, Fuller and, and Simmons, but also maybe between Simmons and Houdin in attempting to move towards finding the essence of gesture, defining the dancer as pure symbol as form. Um, and uh, I just, and so I've, I've sort of illustrated this, uh, this short response with a few images, um, all of which are of uh, works that can be seen in the exhibition. And this is um, a photograph, as you can tell, of Louis Fuller by um, Rodin's um, photographer and her photographer, uh, Eugène um, without the theatricality that would have accompanied the actual performance. And maybe it gives us a hint as to what um, Rodin didn't find in Louis Fuller, only insofar as he was obviously transfixed like Simmons and Mallarmé and symbolist thinkers and writers by sort of what she meant and what she did with space. But considering he was the sculptor of the human body, I don't know, it's a simple way of looking at it, but it perhaps that she really did, you know, thinking about the 20 feet of meters above her body and that she was sort of projecting and kind of exploding it outwards is quite interesting in relation to what interests him as a sculptor. Which isn't to say that drapery and movement and movement of drapery, or even just movement without drapery, but sort of movement in space, didn't fascinate him. And in fact, that isn't something necessarily Simmons writes about, because he's talking about um, encountering Rodin and the nude, and the and it isn't so much the movement. Other writers write about Rodin capturing movement. Um, one thing that struck me in your in your paper was how much in the literature on Rodin. Simmons is regarded as one of the most astute observers and commentators. Um, I mean, by kind of current crop of scholars, but he is seen as the person who got Rodin, who understood sort of what he was doing. So I thought that was a nice counterpoint to what you were yeah, saying absolutely. about him. Uh, I personally found Simmons interesting because he translated, this is very sort of geeky, but he translated some terms in acrobatics from French into English. In a little, in an in in article he wrote, um, which I thought was interesting because, a kind of anic footnote, but in some of the drawings I'll show you in a moment, of acrobatic poses, not of movement, um, that Rodin observed, the curators at the time of the Musée Rodin, and I don't know starting from when, it could have been from the very early curators, it could have been from the 1950s onwards or 60s onwards, just gave them type, gave them names, and anyway, we sort of struggled to say, what are these poses really called? Um, and it was interesting to find that Simmons was there in the music hall, in rehearsals, writing about them, and it was so relevant. Um, so this is not this uh, kind of place here because we don't know who this person is. I mean, I say that, that seeing it's a tiny drawing, it's this big. It's really precious and beautiful and weird. Not, it has unbeautiful passages such as the head, and seems so huge. It does look very odd, indeed. But um, a couple of things struck me. We sort of assume this is a potentially a Japanese dancer, and the expression which I wrote down, I won't find about the um, the sinuous the the link the sinuous fingers, spectral hands that thrill, and the lingering feet that undulate. It was quite interesting. The lingering feet. 
Um, I guess that's a pointing to how slow this dance is. Now that's another transformation that Baudin makes in his work. He's observing work that's slow, but as an artist, I suppose, he's, con he's still recording it, so it's still fast. <laughs> you know, it's not still, but it's slow dance. Um, anyway, I thought that was interesting. It made me think, I hadn't known that poem. I should have, but... Um, and there you can see feet several times. You can see, um, well, it seems to be a foot here with some cross-hatching, another foot here. And then this is a foot, and the, I show a little detail here of the pressure and the speed with which he must have been uh, drawing, because, and this I got from my wonderful colleague who's the conservator works on paper, when we visited the Museo Adan and looked at these drawings, first you can see the multiplicity of lines on the page. They're not all the same. They're actually different. They, have, they serve a different function. Some are thick and are more like tram lines. And that's the one that ends up in the foot. That's this. So this is a pen and ink. And you can see that it goes, and the reason it goes down here is that the, 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 the fork is, the, the nib is splitting. So it, you only achieve that if you're sort of moving, if you're working fast and with speed. So that's interesting that the, perhaps that gives an in, maybe that, maybe that makes us understand why his drawings of slow dancers look fast. Actually, he's drawing fast, I don't know. But anyway, that's just a correct one. But, but that, so I thought this was interesting in relation to Fuller, even though it obviously has nothing to do with Fuller, but there's an interest in drapery. But beyond that, Fuller didn't captivate him the way dancers who, whose bodies were the agents of their expression, I think, in a more, um, well, just direct sort of way did. And the, this is a detail of a really uh, stunning drawing, which um, echoes what, um, Simmons's observation about these, it, uh, with smiles inanimate. Well, this doesn't even have a smile, it's sort of nothing. But um, the faces are and the heads are very, tend to be in, in Hodin's drawings. So this dance is very blank, very sort of um, blank, really. Not, um, they're, they're kind of mannequin heads. Uh, but the hands, that's where the, the sort of energy comes in. And um, movement, and this is the, perhaps closer to a kind of drawing, but not. Well, it's a nude, so maybe in that way it's closer to the kinds of drawings Simmons spoke about, but that's all really, just because it's a nude. Otherwise, it's a person in a strenuous sort of position, sort of, well, she's not necessarily straining, but because she knows what she's doing, if, if, uh, well, if, you know, because one can see this as someone who is apparently entering the pose in this. Oh, this is the, the, the um, position I was mentioning. It's uh, holding her leg behind the head, but anyway, there are several different names for these. And um, the quote is from an, another commentator. But Simmons was more intellectually somehow on a level, I think, with what Hodin was doing, where the others were, the other commentators on his drawings and on his approach to, to drawing women were, were more superficial somehow. Um, but so I, I was interested in thinking about movement and the essence of movement, the essence of capturing gesture and pose, but also the effort required by the model and and, and the translation by the artist, so not by Simmons, but by Hodin. And this doesn't, this isn't a finished drawing, and um, we couldn't borrow the drawings that ha have this as their basis, but they are, it, they have been, tra this drawing was used as the basis of tracings, which were then made to um, <coughs> create some very 
stylized and sort of linear, almost kind of Matisse type drawings. Mm -hmm. We couldn't borrow them because they're very, very, um, very fragile. And it's just extraordinary that he, you know, I think the, 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 what he saw, or what he recorded, let's say, rather than what he saw, when he chose something was kind of what he then wished to retain. I don't know, it, it reminded me a bit of the, again, of searching for the, you know, the dancer with her gesture as pure symbol, or, the da or just searching for the, for the economy, the, the economy of form, searching for something, because it, it's quite striking. Hodin, we did a lot of work on this, Hodin, well, we did some work on this, Hodin uses the same size paper for a number of his drawings. There are thousands of drawings in the Musée of Hodin in, in public and private collections in the world, and there are sort of 10,000 thought to be known, and of those, a good, huge proportion are of the late period. And in the Musée Hodin, I definitely didn't look at the 5,000 drawings of this period, but I looked at hundreds and hundreds of drawings, and it does seem, and I also looked at dimensions in the you know, catalog, and he does use the similar size paper, and since we know he's tracing, and we did empirical research on this tracing by doing our own tracing, um, we were allowed to, which was quite a coup, really, and um, it would be a wonderful project, if anyone is just a really wonderful project, I think, um, to continue doing empirical research on the last drawings. But um, all this is simply to say that the original kind of, the, the, the concentrated sort of moment that Rodin records, he then, he then um, just uses again and again and again to obtain a final form, which is very much more economical than this. And then this is one example of that, um, distillation of observational sketches into linear form. He does it in the pencil, but he also then transformed the, the form through, um, wasn't transformed the form, but transformed the effect rather through application of gouache and application of um, watercolor. So a more opaque and less opaque watercolor. Uh, often the watercolor is almost, uh, as my colleague likes to say, a kiss. It's just barely there. But it has a sort of sensual sensuality to it that John returns to. Um, and so these we know were achieved through tracing because we, we did measure them all in there. And we didn't trace them. Um, and this is, this is known in the drawing that you showed, I would have thought was probably also a kind of tracing. And these were often, he, these were, a tracing wasn't a slavish tracing that was not worth anything. On the contrary, he gave them to friends, in mm -hmm. fact. Mm -hmm. And to people who, and it seems to be but the case that he would give those kinds of things, a bit like this sort of tracing here, to, or even this type. I mean, at least it happened to fit in his collection, but he would have given these types to uh, patrons, but also to critics, maybe not money people, but people who got his... Oh, <laughs> my God. What is that? Anyway. Um, is that going to let me go? Oh, this is uh, the... This is a bit technical, but what I also wanted to say as a response was that uh, the world that, uh, that, that we tried to understand, Hodin's world, was really, really materials-based, it was really, um, well, technical, but earth, you know, earth, it was kind of the, 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 the materials that he used and the processes of using these materials and kind of the how and the why, but really kind of how and, and, and just constructing stories. So I didn't go into great depth often in my research because it was just required that, you know, who, who's to, to find out what did people say about these? ways that he drew and how did they react to him and, and what did they say and exactly how do we think he drew and anyway we we think this is it so he just has a sheet of paper he does many many sketches did many sketches and then he would select so the story goes but select a few and then 
um, a friend, a, a sculptor he knew very well, who had, whom he had employed, called Antoine Bourdel, who himself had some tracing techniques, so I think he's to be believed, and also as a sculptor, did talk about how he went to the window, and others talked about it, a few others, and he would trace, and so he would just select. It's basically a process of editing. I think you can see, hopefully, you can see the, the drawing. So the drawing underneath is the one with the original sketch, and then this is the one that is our reconstruction, the friend who colleagues and artists, with the, with the distilled sort of sketch, and you can see underneath is that. And what he does is he just tweaks, he, he shifts the paper, it's, it's, um, and then this is our comparison of a, we didn't, just so you don't think we were completely crazy, we didn't, obviously did not use any pen, we only, and I didn't do anything, it was all, which is my colleague who's a conservator who works on paper, she, we were allowed, and it's not often that you're allowed this, I gather, but we're allowed to trace very, very, very lightly over some selected works that we thought would help our, our understanding, and we selected them, so we selected groups where there were multiple, multiple poses. Um, but I don't know if these are things that, that Sims saw necessarily. I mean, he doesn't talk about acrobats in that word. He doesn't, in, you know, it's he more sense. He doesn't talk about specific drawings. No, no and he doesn't talk about specific drawings. Yeah. yeah. Um, and anyway, and then we transfer them onto, uh, I just need to make that point, we transfer the drawing onto a sheet of uh, acetate so that we could then, with pen, but far away from drawing, and then we could, we could superimpose <laughs> them together. And we're allowed with the, the, the mark here upwards to then place them onto the drawing. So anyway, this way we, we found out empirically the things that we kind of knew anyway. But um, interestingly, Simmons does not talk about these movements, um, uh, which is not a surprise because he, they were made in 1911, so I suppose he wasn't yeah, in there. Anymore, he saw so. them for the last time in 1907, yeah. so, so he would have known. He would have known, so that makes sense. And um, I guess this is kind of the postscript to yeah, what he would have, but said, but what, what he would have seen. But but it's interesting that the sculpture. So um, maybe I'll have time to read this. This is a. It was interesting that the sculptures that Rodin did create do have. I guess they are the calm. Well, or they're an expression of that similar interest of getting to, you know, within economy of form of mm -hmm. getting of getting, refining and refining and distilling and somehow getting somewhere, um, getting to the essence of, of something and. Um, yeah, and they have all those ingredients, the blank faces, the sort of uh, extreme, ecstatic kind of um, positions, and the sort of perhaps slowness, so I don't know if you could say slowness for the sculpture, but of the Japanese, I mean, there's some hand movements that seem to echo the Southeast Asian dances. Um, this is a quote uh, from the only person we know definitely saw the works on several occasions, who was a, um, Art patron of the arts and, and uh, sort of friend of politicians and a great great diarist called uh, Count Harry Kessler, uh, German uh, German um, Irish German uh, aristocrat who was friends with uh, Mayol and who was a great friend of the Badiavus. He introduced Nijinsky and Diaghilev to Rodin, so we know that they saw the sculpture, but they didn't write it. And but but Gessler writes, and he says. He saw an entire glass case full of small clay figures which he had started after an acrobat, figures with astoundingly new lines and movements, more similar to his drawings than to the sculptures he has made hitherto. And it was that last, last part of the sentence that intrigued me the most because that's kind of the underlying, one of the underlying arguments of the exhibition was that actually we really need to think more carefully about the connection between Baudin's drawings and his sculpture in this particular series because they are 
because I think he develops a number of poses, a number of ideas so fully in the drawings that the sculpture is a kind of, well, it's just a three-dimensional version of what he's already thought through. It's not, um, and then, then there's nothing else. And then there's, there's additional lines of inquiry in sculpture. But the whole idea of the sculptures being, oh, and this is the woman who posed. So it's not, she's not avant-garde, she's a very flexible. And um, yeah, Simmons could have seen her in the, in the studio. It's not possible. She seems to have come to the studio in around 1903. She was um, the, the model and at some point became a lifetime companion, a very significant person for a sculptor called Jules Desbois, who was one of Rodin's practitioners. The practitioners were the people who made the marbles and the bronzes, etc. And he was a marble carver. He was a sculptor in his own right, who has a dedicated museum. Um, which I recommend. It's completely lost in the country around uh, Angers, but it's really worth seeing if you ever can make it there. And um, it kind of has his name, so you'd find it. Jules de Bois. So this was his his um, companion model, and Rodin met her. And it seems anecdotal, but the, I think the fact that Rodin sort of came from the same world. Well, that's actually kind of interesting in terms of Simmons, because Rodin Simmons is not very snobbish, not particularly not about sure, Rodin, no. not at all. But most people were. And Rodin was very much kind of. of I think people. he very much reveled in, in yeah. low low life, actually. He did, yeah, well, yeah, but not in a kind of, you know, distant way. Not no, in not a sure, sort of, but he yeah. write about it extensively in yeah. his poems as well, um, with a sort of starkness. Yes. Verging on cynicism. And me. Verging on cynicism. But with Rodin, I don't know what. I don't know. It's hard to. I mean. The sort of cliche thing to say, but I haven't found an improved version of it, is that he's he's kind of what Degas isn't. You know, his relationship with 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 models is the sort of opposite or contrary of Degas, who is the who observes from afar and kind of has a and is sort of a bit of a voyeur. And Rodin is a bit like that quote from Duncan is 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 right there. You know, kind of often <coughs> hands on, hands on. He's hands on, literally. <laughs> So this is someone who I'm not saying she's from his world, but I don't think she's she's in the group of people that he knows. She's part of the yeah. She's um. I don't know much about her, but we do know that she then she she goes missing for several years, and then she's found again, and his friends offer a party and say she seems to have been much awaited by his friends as someone who was going to come and maybe he would, maybe they thought he would just complete his work with her. I'm not sure, but certainly she was a, a sort of muse for these acrobatic um, gestures or postures rather. And um, so she came back to the studio. I really apologize for these images, but it's a, anyway, some of them are just study images I took whilst we were uh, researching. But what is really extraordinary about these dozen figures in clay, and some in terracotta, and some in, um, in plaster, is that they are, at least to me, this is the most extraordinary. They are completely, most of them, not all of them, but completely, you, you can turn them upside down in any, in any way. And, um, this is a little bit of a non sequitur, but I found that the quote about Fuller dancing with her hands rather than her feet really, really interesting. And I think it's this whole kind of freedom from just convention, you know. And in a way, the acrobat sh sort of symbolizes that anyway, right? That is a, a perhaps, yeah, Simmons also found that attractive, this kind of world upside down and the sort of, um, the, um, yeah, the freedom from convention and the, the sort of sexual. Side. Oh, this is um, the, the technical study. Probably won't tell you much much about this, but it's um, just to say that we did a lot of technical 
well, we did a lot of looking, and these are two wonderful uh, conservators who look a bit like Darth Vader. She looks quite Parisian in her shawl. Two um, French conservators who did a wonderful study on the making of these sculptures, and um, yeah, no one had ever seen them. It was a bit of a best kept secret because if you looked at them closely, you could tell they were not just modeled. But everyone who'd ever written about them said they were modeled quickly. And it's a bit, not like Stevens's fault, but it's a bit because the literature has always reveled in how uh, close to the models of Odin was and how he just quickly did things. And yes, it's true, but it happens with these that actually it's not how they were made. They were made completely differently. Um, this is a hint as to how they were made. These two figures are different figures, but they share the same arm. Well, why is that? Because they're actually made from two originally modeled clay figures, which were made by Hodin, and they look, would have looked like this, but they don't, they don't exist anymore. This is one, and this is the other. And they were cut up into parts, just so that the mold makers would have an easier time to make molds, so they could be preserved. And so far, that's quite conventional, that you would preserve a work in plaster rather than in clay. Um, so these are the plaster, these are the molds into which plaster was poured to make the version which, the version of these in plaster, which survives today and which we have in the exhibition, and this is it, it's kind of silly, it's on the table, but that's it. And Rodin put them in a, a bit like the hands, in a pare de together. I don't know how clear that was, but if you go to the exhibition, it's quite clear. So you have a... The, the original, which no longer exists, the plaster version that Rodin then put together in a strange, slightly Art Nouveau-ish kind of wheel sort of formation. Neither of the figures have heads, and one figure has only one arm, which I don't think matters so much because it looks a lot like the drawings, these, that, those drawings, mm -hmm. with one arm, I think. And, um, and then he, used these molds a second time, but slightly to a different end. Instead of having plaster cast in them, he asked his mold maker, one of his mold makers, to press clay into them. And he ended up with lots of lots of this, lots of the pieces of this figure, lots of the pieces of this figure, no head, but then he asked someone to bring him to make him a head from one of his past figures, so he had a head. And it's from that collection of works that he then made these striking, weird, sometimes without a head, works. Mostly they have heads. And this is presented this way, but it really it could equally, in fact, I don't think we present it. <coughs> yes, I think we do present it this way. But it could be leaping, it could be, you know, doing a handstand. This one, when it, so none of these were ever cast in bronze in his lifetime. He never showed them, well, he hardly showed them to anyone, unlike the drawings, which were equally private. He really never showed these. I mean, the drawings, at least, as you, as you pointed out, rightfully, he obviously found this was a very important way to show a new expression, but this is the... Anyway, there's more research to be done, I think, in this contiguity between but the drawings and the sculpture. But in that respect, they, they, um, they're parallels to Degas' dances, they aren't are, they? In exactly. the sense that you know, yeah. he kept that You're whole right, series of dances yeah, to himself uh, in his studio, never excited oh, he did. them. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, so that's a sense yeah. of, um, you know, of, of something very intimate very, and private. Very private, yeah. Um, in an exploration, an exploration, of yeah. Mm -hmm. 
what the human form can do yes, exactly. would, would seem to link them. I, they, I, I think they do, it does seem to link them. I don't know what, to, the thing that, that is different is more that I think Rodin seems to have been aiming towards a totality thing. We don't know what it was, but maybe, maybe these were figures towards one figure. Mm. Whereas Rodin is really scrutinizing yeah, I don't know, scrutinizing the... Sense, I think with Degas that he sort of, you know, studied almost like some of these chronophotographic yes, series. Yes, you know, it's it's one sequence, yes. and if you, you know, raise your hour a little yes. bit, you know, you get, yes. there's, there's the basis for a new yes. piece of sculpture. Okay, thank you, um, yeah. So there's that sense of sequence, and which I did... Which you don't have, no. There, okay, so actually, so thank you, because I was so struck by a word that you used in your paper that I've been using, although I never, for some reason I didn't think of it when I wrote it, Catalog, but I've been using it when I talk about it, which is compressed. Godin's, mm -hmm. um, or I did use it in the catalog, but Godin is absolutely compressing time. So it's not a sequence. There are, these don't have a sequence. However, having worked with um, a group of uh, theatrical practitioners, many of whom have dance backgrounds, actually, all of them have dance backgrounds at Central School of Speech and Drama, they were absolutely convinced that because these are limbering, which I haven't said, these are limbering postures, not dance postures. They are, they can, they were adamant that they can be seen as flowing kind of into each other. Mm -hmm. And that was brought home to me by the fact that some of the postures that these practitioners did whilst researching or embodying the, these poses, they did some that I'd never shown them, but for which drawings existed, in, on their way to a pose. So it's... They're not a sequence like Degas, absolutely not, but they're compressed. But it doesn't make them less real. They are observation. They are the fruit of observation. They're just, it's this kind of economy of form, this sort of, um, anyway, this, this, so this sculpture, which was like Rodin's, uh, like Degas, only, uh, all of these, only cast in bronze uh, decades after, actually many decades after his death. So in that sense, much later than Rodin. I, I, that actually, there is a, a relationship, I think, with Duguay's sculpture having done really well. Anyway, but um, they, were, they were cast always in this upward motion, because they, you know, if you're casting bronze and it's for a market and you have to put them on a base, you're not going to cast something that can be, any, that can be shown anyway. You sort of want to say it's shown this way, so they, the, Musée, the Musée Rodin will have the copyright to, uh, to Rodin's work chose you know how to how to cast them and they chose in this case this is only now that people have decided oh actually you know this works much better upside down but in fact it was cast kicking which isn't to say it doesn't work it does work but it seems to make more sense like this but they're always cast in much more uh, ascending motions oh and these are the, the <laughs> you see she has to be assisted by someone this is something I just thought was kind of funny. It takes it into another cat, another area, but it sort of recut. Well, it is how Rodin. I would be very curious to know how you, what you think of this. But this is one of this is Rodin taking one of his works and um, doubling it and adding adding wings to it, and then placing it onto an egg onto a column for one and placing it just onto a column for the other and actually then manipulating the, 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 the wings so that they're slightly different in each. And anyway, it's all a question of tweaking to the nth degree. But what is interesting is that he, he seems to call this a biplane and he calls other works and he seems to overlay his work with a kind of story which comes after the fact. 